0: So, we've been working with the foundations of mindfulness, which, you know, I'm really just really delighted that you've been willing and able to come and be so consistent because this whole material of meditation instruction is very, very powerful. And even though we're taking it in snippets, if you put it all together and start letting it seep into your life so that it becomes something that uh, is a resource to draw from then you can find the leverage uh, of the way it is able to change the way that we look at things. So the first foundation of mindfulness is working with the body and there's a lot in that, you know, in terms of just understanding how we are, what our posture is, the level of tension, the balance, the relaxation, the sense of being present with our body where we're going, you know, feeling our feet when we're walking, feeling our seat when we're sitting, you know, feeling our breath when we're driving. So there's, a, there's an awful lot in the first foundation of mindfulness. And the first foundation is fabulous because what it does is it is a, is a touchstone for every other foundation. So the, the feelings that we have, the thoughts and moods that we have, all of that will have a physical correlate. And so if we can't see the, the mood, if we, if we get caught out by some kind of a loop, we can shift our attention into our physical body and see, well, what's happening there and how do we feel it there? You know, so that's lovely. And then the second foundation is the foundation of, of working with pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So before we get lost in a big, huge thing, or even if we are lost in a big, huge story about, you know, they said and I said and it should have been and and I want and I don't want and I don't want and I do want and I would like to have wanted and, you know, whatever is going on, but a big, huge cascade of complexity, we can just bring it back to is it pleasant, is it unpleasant, or is it neutral? And so when we start focusing our attention on that, then it makes it a lot easier to relax some of this, the drama and the whirlwind and the kind of uh, ups and downs of the the way the mind moves in response to things. With that as a foundation, we have the ability to start working with the contents of the mind. And what's really helpful in working with the contents of the mind, first off, is to bring forward a non-judgmental awareness that no matter what we're feeling, we can observe it, and we don't need to have an opinion about it. So whether you're pissed off, or you're feeling love and radiance for all beings, you don't need to have an opinion about, about the contents of your minds. Which is really important to end that war of, of trying to collect and identify with the things that we value, the things that we affirm who we think we are and who we think we should be and trying to push away and get rid of and squash and annihilate and kill the things that we don't like, the things that are not incongruent with who we think we are and who we think we should be. So that war can begin to soften and end when we bring to whatever is arising a nonjudgmental awareness. Then we take another step into the actuality of what it is that we're experiencing and rather than just only maintain this non-dual relationship with it we can begin to engage with the contents in order to develop more ease, more peace, and more... uh, less suffering. So we pick up the aggregates, we pick up the factors of enlightenment, we pick up the hindrances, and we can pick up the Four Noble Truths as ways of looking at what it is that we're experiencing. Now, working with the Four Noble Truths is is like, you know, it could be a lifetime practice because it's rich and it has a lot in it. And so, you know, to talk about it in one evening is going to be touching just the tiniest bit of the surface of it. The actual penetration and understanding of this is is a very, very deep inquiry. But we can start. You know, we can start with what we've got, we can start tonight, we can begin it. So when we're working with the Four Noble Truths as a practice, what we're wanting to do is to allow our attention to relax and be aware and open to suffering, to dukkha, to the quality of unpleasantness. And so we can notice unpleasant in our body. We can notice unpleasant as a mood. We can notice unpleasant as an energetic state. We can notice unpleasant as a thought. We can notice unpleasant as an emotion, all right? And when we notice the unpleasantness of it, then we can notice our reaction to that, okay? So most of the time when we feel anything unpleasant our habit for many of us is to blame. Either we blame ourselves or we blame somebody else. Okay? That's and and we are completely supported to do that in our society. You know, I see advertisements on billboards for lawyers who will help you blame people. <laughs> They are employed and they make really good money to help you blame people that somebody else is basically responsible for your suffering and it is their responsibility to compensate you for that. Now, certainly there are ways in which we are responsible for the things that we say and do and they can have consequences and we do need to be responsible for the consequences of our actions. But our society in North America and particularly the United States has a remarkable kind of <coughs> love of blame. As a like snake oil that's going to solve everything. That if we can really fully articulate the way in which somebody else is articulating our suffering, is causing our suffering, then that is going to be the place where we are going to seek release. So we have to check out our cultural conditioning around that and our own habits around that and our own society around that and our communities because they will support us to blame. So the Buddha's teaching is looking at it from rather than looking at the external cause, like not looking at the person who insults you or the person who kicked you in the shins, you know, or the person who just threw some excrement your direction, not that. But to look at the kind of basic reaction to that, which is that it shouldn't be happening, that I don't want this. This is not in accordance with who I think I should be or who I want to be. Yeah. So this movement away from blaming outside to looking at the cause is really fundamental shift in the way that we normally look at stuff. Normally our focus is outside. You know what's happened outside okay and this is to begin to look at how am i relating to what is arising that was triggered by something outside how am i relating to that and it's in the way that i'm relating to it that i can find a shift and that's really that's really that is so important that is such a big piece of this whole puzzle because it is not to deny the fact that there are lots of things that happen in the outside world that are not okay. But what really makes it not okay is the way that we react to that. Okay? You know, the spin on it that we put, the kind of anxiety or the attention or the aggression that we give to what has arisen. So, the first noble truth is that there's something unsatisfactory. And, you know, it could be something like a pain in our body. It could be a stain in our clothing. It could be uh, the recipe didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. It could be that, you know, we're having a bad hair day. I don't have very often bad hair days. (laughs) But some people do, and it can be very distressing, you know? Or it can be, you know, a deeper feeling of exhaustion or physical illness that's not clear when it's going to resolve, or a sense of confusion about, you know, how, who I am or what I need to do in this world. You know, it can take many different shapes. But the fact that something has arisen by itself is not a problem. The problem we need to see is the way that we're relating to it, and that is that cause, that desire for it to be different, that hunger, that craving, is where we can place our attention. And then right there, where we place our attention on the origin of suffering, is where we can experience the release. Okay? So the kind of tidiness of the Buddha's teaching is, is that the freedom is not in in some kind of philosophical ideology. The freedom is paying attention to where we get stuck and looking at the cause of what's contributed to it, seeing that the cause is coming from the way that we are focusing and focusing in a different way. Okay? So, that's the kind of like overview but the reality is, is that we can use that as a practice of how we're actually working with what's arising. So let's try, yeah? Do you have any questions about what I just said? Does that does that make sense? Enough sense? Yeah? Exactly. Right. So the fact that there's a sense of rightness or a sense of wrongness, either internally or externally, that in and of itself doesn't have to be a source of suffering. It could be a source of reflection, and that reflection might be um, uh, uh, uncomfortable. Yeah. But it doesn't need to contract into a kind of a ball of a knot which is often what suffering feels like, okay? It's not just the reflection that some I've done something and it has been unskillful and the result has been that it has been difficult for somebody else. That's skillful, even though it's unpleasant to reflect that way, it's a very skillful thought process. But the suffering is, is, is that there's something fundamentally wrong with me, I always do this, I'm always making mistakes, I'm basically hopeless, and I'm not ever going to shift. It's a kind of taking the the cause and effect relationship, turning it into a permanent sense of me as being fundamentally not okay, and that I need to fix that. And because we think of ourselves as fundamentally someone who is flawed, then we've got a problem trying to figure out how we're going to fix it. How do you fix something that's fundamental? you know so the suffering is the, is the is the is the tightening around it it's not the reflection that you know if I in fact did kick somebody in the shins that's really not okay and that pulling back and that reflecting about that that's skillful even though it's painful but the guilt trip is not helpful and that guilt trip that we can do is not the same as wise reflection that guilt trip is solidifying, I'm basically bad. Okay? Does that help clarify for you, Nicole? So when we're in meditation and those thoughts come up, then are we just watching those thoughts come up or are we replacing those, the fundamental So if you notice the thought, I'm fundamentally flawed, coming up in many of its different disguises, you know, in the various different ways that it comes up, it's really important to observe that thought as a thought. So we go back to the third foundation of mindfulness, saying that that's a thought, that's just a thought, okay, without judgment. And then in the the fourth foundation, when we begin to see there's a lot of suffering connected to that thought. And the suffering connected to that thought is by believing that there's some truth in it, that there is something about that thought which is actually true. And so it's the belief that there's something about it that's true, which is the source of suffering, yeah? So it begins to examine it, not just observe it in a detached way, but curious, where, what's happening here? Now, for, for some of us, this feeling that there's something wrong has got a lot of momentum in it. So just the fact that we can observe it as a thought and it passes doesn't mean that it just ends. There's momentum in it. But when we have had the opportunity of watching it arise and not believing in it, then we have contrast between when we do believe in it and when we don't believe in it. And that contrast can give us a little bit more leverage for the next time it arises, to see, oh, this is that thought. That's that pattern arising again. Because our tendency is just to grab hold of it and believe it as this is something fundamentally true. Okay? Okay, so let's start. And let's start with some standing, if you're okay with standing.